Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, from the PrimaryCarePod at gmail.com inbox, uh, we have a joke uh, today from a listener. came in this morning, literally. Um, Dr. List, why is it called a chicken coop? Answer, if it had four doors, it would be a chicken sedan. That, that was pretty bad. All right, uh, let's start the podcast. Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the podcast. Pod girls, pod boys, pod people. It's Pod Doc, Dr. Mark List, uh, coming at you today. Uh, today's episode, um, this is uh, an article that um, was in the same uh, was in the same journal as our last episode on um, uh, bembendoic acid. Sorry, uh, brain fart there for a little bit. And it's actually. <clears throat> Antidepressant augmentation versus switch in treatment-resistant geriatric depression from uh, the big boys uh, and the New England Journal of Medicine here in March of 2023. Now, um, why I want to talk about this is actually I had a uh, this came actually up in clinic recently. Had a 60-something-year-old uh, man who came in with worsening mental health issues, um, more fatigue, more uh, mood disturbance, more anger more irritability, uh, lack of enjoyment, lack of motivation, uh, was really struggling to focus and concentrate on his work because he really just didn't have any drive or motivation to do that. We're working him up for other things as well, but really thought that his mental health was the main driver. So uh, in this study, uh, this was a very, very recent study, so very timely when I was doing this visit. Um, These were in adults older than 60 Okay, so geriatric, just any adult over 60. The average age was 69. And all of them were on existing antidepressant treatments. So all of these patients had treatment-resistant geriatric depression, right, as the name of the title is. Oh, and by the way, uh, due to uh, uh, listener requests, I will try to have a link to this in the uh, uh, comments section below or the description of this podcast will now have the uh, study link now. Uh, Thanks for pointing that out. That's a really easy thing I can add. So I'll just put a link to it. Um, So this is, they put them in a one-to-one-to-one randomized control trial, right? So they had all these patients, they randomized them. You either switched your current antidepressant to bupropion, starting at 150, then going to 300, then going to 450, took their currently existing medication and dose and augmented it with aripiprazole, aka Abilify, right, starting at 2.5 milligrams and titrating up, or started, continued their current dose of their antidepressant, and then augmented by adding bupropion. Okay, so those are the three groups. If the patients had ever been on Abilify or had been on bupropion or didn't respond to one of these three groups, then they were uh, randomized in, quote, a step two Um, This was the first three steps. The first three groups were in step one. Uh, Step two was then taking the people that didn't respond or the people that had been on either of those medications in the past and randomizing them into one of two groups for step two. Group one was 
existing antidepressant that they were currently taking, adding on lithium, or switching their antidepressant to nortriptyline to see if that could get over the resistant depression. Now, uh, the end of this study was 619 patients were enrolled, and so all the groups were roughly about 200, just over 200 people per group. Sorry, not sure if you could hear that. That was my nurse knocking at my door. I'm trying to record this in between patients because I had a no-show and I finished my other one really fast. So I'm just trying to hammer out this. My nurse was asking me to do real clinic work. Uh, uh, sorry, I uh, was uh, distracted there by the podcast. Okay, so um, getting back into the study, I want to highlight the fact that the authors had a very strong conclusion to this. And I have a major, I have more uh, takeaways that I think are more relevant to primary care, not psychiatry, for example. So the author's main takeaway and really the conclusion of this study, and by the way, so this is a big study in a big, big journal, right? So the conclusion basically says, in older adults with treatment-resistant depression, augmentation of existing antidepressants with eripiprazole improved well-being significantly more over 10 weeks than a switch to bupropion and was associated with a numerically higher incidence of remission. Among patients whom augmentation or switch to bupropion failed, changes in well-being and occurrence of remission with lithium augmentation or a switch to nortriptyline were similar. So basically, if you go into the data, the overall well-being scores improved with augmentation of eripiprazole by 4.8 points, with bupropion augmentation was 4.3 points, and a switch to bupropion, a discontinuum of what they're currently taking and switching to bupropion was 2.0. And then the final group, um, both well-being scores were very similar at about three and two. Um, so similar to that bupropion switch, right? And again, those last two groups were um, boostering with lithium versus switching to nortriptyline. Now, these were well-being scores. The average score nationwide is a, a mean of 50. And in the study, these patients, their baseline scores were... Uh, on average, 31 to 33, right? So uh, the well-being obviously decreased because they have uh, pretty bad uh, depression. Their average PHQ-9s were somewhere between 14 to 16. On average, that was the mean. And what they saw, right? And, and you know, they saw a basically 30% remission. So, uh, you know, re resolution of this current case of depression with aripiprazole augmentation, about a 30% with the bupropion augmentation, and only about a 20% with switching to bupropion. Again, about 20% if you added on lithium and 20% if you switched to nortriptyline. So, right, that's the take home that these authors had in this, in this study, right? Now, I would tell you that I looked at this study and these results a little bit differently. Number one was the fact that only it, we're adding on a second medication or we're going through the process of taking you off your medicine, which causes titration and other side effects, and changing you to a new antidepressant. And we're doing this so that one out of three out of 10 patients benefit seven out of 10 did not benefit in the most effective groups. In the least effective groups, 80% of patients did not benefit from this study, right? Still are still dealing with anti, still dealing with depression. And this baseline well-being score of four in somebody that goes from a baseline of 33 and 33.3 
up to 38.1. And this was considered a success that there is a 4% change in baseline. For the average adult walking on the street, a change in baseline of four points on this scale would be equivalent to about an 8% improvement in their overall sense of well-being in these patients with depression whose baseline well psychological well-being scores were lower on the scale it was a little bit more than 10% improvement in overall sense of well-being so overall what do we say well you know you will get uh, you know you'll probably feel better on this um, you know there's a small chance that the depression will completely go away but this will might make you feel better in the meantime, you do need to take another medicine, which is going to cause side effects, right? And it's going to take at least 10 weeks before we're going to know if this is helpful to you before we need to switch again, right? So that's my take home. But the other take home is what about those side effects, right? This is something that cannot be ignored. The rate of falls in these patients, this was a 10-week trial, okay? A 10-week trial followed by step two, which is another 10-week trial, Okay. In those 20 weeks, in the first augmentation group with aripiprazole, there was an average fall per patient of 0.3. In the bupropion augmentation groups, right, so these elders, average age 69 years old, who are on an antidepressant, were adding bupropion. The average fall rate per patient was 0.5. Every other patient had a fall in the bupropion augmentation group. Like that is significant. In the lithium augmentation group, it was again, 0.47. So basically one out of every two patients in this 20 weeks had a fall. Um, The lowest groups where the aripiprazole augmentation group was only 0.3, right? So um, three out of 10 patients had a fall in the the augmentation group, right? They don't give us a baseline of how often these elders were falling because there was no placebo group, so we can't compare, but that's a pretty high amount of falls, right? Adverse events, right? They, they talked about serious adverse events like psychiatric illnesses, non-psychiatric major cardiac event or a death, right? These are very, very, very low per patient, you know, less than 0.1 per patient on average. But the adverse events, the things that we care about, right? We're adding pill burden, right? So we're adding pill burden, we're adding side effects in a patient population that already struggles with polypharmacy that already struggles with adverse events and having to take medicines to chase adverse events from other medicines, you know my stance on medical nihilism, right? But in this group, we had rate per patient in the aripiprazole group, right? The thing that, the the group that they said had a great response, had 30% remission rates. Wow, how amazing that is. Had a four point on a, you know, 100 point scale of uh, of psychological well-being, a, a 10% 10% improvement overall in psychological overall well-being had 2.8 adverse events per patient in the aripiprazole augmentation group. So adding Abilify basically had a dramatic increased risk of dizziness, GI side effects, um, anxiety, worsening anxiety, and then disturbed sleep was the big one with Abilify, which wasn't really seen in any other major groups. Okay, what's the one thing that you don't want to happen to your older patients? Oh, suddenly they have reduced or disturbed sleep. Yeah, that's not going to cause any cognitive issues or behavioral issues or balance issues or blood pressure issues. Oh, so I mean, 
my take home from this study is different than what the authors. The authors were like, this was a good, you know, uh, we should be recommending for patients that are well, that, that are poorly controlled on a single antidepressant to add aripiprazole because it has the best um, efficacy, has the best outcomes, and has the lowest rate of falls, um, and therefore it's better than the bupropion augmentation. Oh, by the way, uh, when you got up to the uh, nortriptyline, right, the nortriptyline group, which was stop your antidepressant and taper off and go to nortriptyline, yeah, 51% uh, of patients had uh, reduced salivation. That's a, that's a lot, right? That's, that's a lot of dry mouth. Um, again, similar rates of, a uh, little bit better rates of dizziness, interesting compared to Abilify, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, the bupropion group had a lot of dizziness, whether you switch from the antidepressant to bupropion or added on bupropion, a lot of dizziness, a lot of GI side effects reported, a lot of um, anxiety issues or tension or inner unrest uh, reported by patients. So again, this is something where Treatment-resistant depression is hard to treat. This study says, basically, well, this is a really good means of treatment. This is, should be considered as kind of like the go-to. My take-home is we're adding a lot of side effects. We're adding a risk of falls, and we're adding another pill burden, right, with the chance for polypharmacy and interactions, right, with 2.8 adverse events per patient in the 20 weeks reported in the in the treatment arm in any in any treatment arm right to me that's not a good trial to me that's a oh we made people just a little bit happier we only put people's depression in remission in 30% um, in the best group and yet we added 2.8 adverse events per person and uh, reduced their sleep and made them fall more. I mean, to me, to me, the study says it's it's you really have to pick your battles. And um, and so I had the conversation with the patient about like, hey, here are some options. Here are things that we could do. But you know, let's think about side effects. If it's not worth it, it's not worth it. Call me back. We would discontinue. Um, the goal for us would be that if you feel better on this new one, then maybe we think about tapering off your old one, again, doing that switch protocol just to avoid polypharmacy, but that, um, you know, it may work, it may not work, but we're going to need to uh, keep a close eye on you as we change things. So that's how I handled my patient um, specifically. Um, the other piece of the discussion about the trials and um, overall things that were uh, um, mentioned was that 50 to 70 percent of patients took their medicines as prescribed. Again, as we look at real life prescribing, as we look at real adherence to medications, when you add more pills, especially pills that have to be taken multiple times per day, you get a drop in adherence. So in this study um, of the treatment strategies, there was it didn't matter the didn't matter the medication. Only 50 to 70 percent of the time, patients were actually taking the medicines that they should would actually be taking. Right. So in the in the article, they talk about this highlights the challenge of managing treatment resistant depression in real world world settings. Which is yes, I mean sometimes uh, step one isn't adding or switching; it's trying to optimize what you're currently taking and getting the patient to take what they're taking um, or to tr see if getting off it even has done anything to the patient and trialing a, a, doing a trial of nothing, to be honest. So anyways, long story short, um, I thought this was a really interesting 
real world look at how you can manage your own geriatric and older patients with treatment resistant depression, what works, what doesn't work, um, what barely works, uh, what side effects to look out for, increasing falls, uh, conversations to have with patients and families. Um, and so again, I hope that this was a good, uh, difficult, right? A treatment resistant depression, um, poorly controlled depression is a quality of life issue. It is something we deal with, with in real practice. And I think this study highlights the fact that even in a positive trial that shows improvement, it comes with a whole lot of negative side effects. So again, I hopefully this was a good study that you can use in your own practice to give patients um, a better educated um, uh, educated counseling in terms of what to expect and what we can and cannot do and what we should expect and what we shouldn't expect from these um, augmentations or switches. So this was really helpful for me. Hopefully it was helpful for you. This has been Dr. Mark Lewis with the Primary Care Podcast reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night, stay up to date. Thanks and have a great week.